that was preteen camp, and we had a great time. It was our first preteen camp, and I want to thank uh, Amber and Shauna and Gabriel Maloof, and uh, those leaders did a great job. We may have some of our preteens in the room. Do we have any preteens? Yeah, preteens, stand up. If you went to preteen camp, stand up. Yeah, let's give them a hand. All right. Uh, for some of them, it was the first time for them to be away from home and spend the night someplace else with other folks. But we had a, we had a wonderful time. I was so thankful that I was ga- able to go up there for a day and um, appreciate our children's ministry so much. Well, we're continuing this message series called Battlefield. And uh, we've been talking about the battles of life that we have in um, everyday life that we face. Um, uh, today, we're going to talk about this idea of people who wound. And the truth is, is that there are people, whether they know it or not, whether it's something that's willful and conscious or subconscious and mistaken, people who wound others, who hurt and who maim and who harm people emotionally and relationally. Um, you know, some of you are dealing with this summer cold that's been going around. I met somebody today who, who's got this summer cold and virus. Um, and, you know, of course, I was staying away from that individual. We kind of <laughs> tend to stay away from folks that have that. You've heard of the Ebola virus, this, this terrible virus that's in West Africa and, and how it's killing people. Viruses work that way. They are poisons. They are toxins that spread from one person to the next through some kind of connection or through some kind of contact between human beings. And the truth is, is that in this life, I want to talk to you today about a different kind of virus. There are viruses that are relational in nature. We live in a different kind of world today. We really do. It, it, you, re, you look at the news, you go, man, yeah, it's hard to understand what is going on. Um, there's a culture of divorce, addictive behavior, political unrest, sexual abuse, overstimulation, materialism, moral relativism, spiritual dysfunction, These dynamics, more and more people are moving into adulthood, having not solved those kinds of issues and having in their lives this illness and these poisons, these toxins again, and have not figured out how to become well from them. And as a result, what they do, they bring these viruses, these toxic dispositions into relationships and they hurt and they harm other people. Let me list for you real quickly some relational viruses that are present in today's world. Sinful extremes that poison relationships. First of all, there's the fear virus. There are people who absolutely live in debilitating fear. They they live in fear and they seek to make you a fearful person as well. It's the fear virus. There's a manipulation virus. Power-hungry, controlling, dominant types of people who use others to prop themselves up in some way and to say something good about themselves. There's a pleaser virus out there. People who must have you like them and who want to be friends with you, not to be friends with you, but because they need you to say something about them. They need you to approve of them. They need you to like them. They need you to accept them. And there's this drain and this draw on the relationship, this illness that you feel from people who seek to use you in that way. There's an achieving virus that's taking place. Maybe you grew up with workaholic parents. The need for more, the need to achieve, the need for success, whatever that means. 
who worked and worked and worked and achieved. That's a virus that gets passed down to other people. There's a rebellion virus. People who undermine their own success. And you scratch your head and you go, why in the world would you do this to yourself? And why in the world would you do this to your family? Why would you do this to other people? Obviously what you did is wrong. You knew it was wrong, but there's a rebellion virus in you. And you hurt yourself. And you choose sin. And you hurt other people by what you do. Those are viruses. And they are harmful. They are hurtful. In our world, there are controllers and there are stuffers and there are perfectionists. There are people who can't be wrong and admit a a mistake. I'm not talking about difficult people. We all have difficult people in our world that we deal with, right? Don't look beside you, all right? We all have difficult people. I'm not talking about difficult people. I'm not talking about frustrating people. I'm talking about hurtful, toxic people who will absolutely hurt you and grieve you in life. I want to read a letter that I got a few years ago from a woman. She says, I have a fear of communicating with my husband. In the past two years, when I've tried to communicate, he has belittled me, yelled, told me he doesn't care how I feel, and that he doesn't love me. He totally disregards me on occasions, such as my birthday, Valentine's Day, etc. He claims he's never been into these holidays, but yet he bought my seven-year-old son a birthday gift. My birthday was two days ago. And he was well aware of it, but chose to not even say happy birthday. It hurts by knowing that I will only feel worse if I confront him. And it cripples me from speaking to him. He's got a virus. He's hurting and harming someone else in his world. Years ago, when I was in seminary, I was working at a church as an intern in student ministry. And I was trying to make ends meet financially. I was a student. Um, I was getting up in the middle of the night working on, of all things, you wouldn't believe it, but a um, loading dock in a, in a truck uh, company. So I was a teamster back then. And uh, so I was getting up doing that, trying to make ends meet. And I was working at the church. The church was paying me, I think it was $500 for a whole semester of work, you know, four or five months of work, only $500. I was really working hard. And it was a numbers-driven kind of environment. And my boss was very much that way, my supervisor there. And we had quotas that we had to meet. I had to make 25 contacts per week. And normally I made those contacts and had achieved those goals. But one week, a particularly busy week, maybe in finals week, I think I made only like 22 instead of 25. And I came into the office for the weekly reporting time, and he absolutely lit up on me, belittled me, made me feel guilty. And I sat there and I took it and I welled up because I knew how hard I was working and I knew how much I loved these kids and I knew how much ministry had meant to me, but completely devalued by this individual. And it got in there. And I walked away from that meeting saying to myself, I will never, ever treat someone like that. And also, that I've got to figure out a way where I can't let someone like that hurt me that way. I've got to figure that out. He had a virus. There was something wrong there. There was something broken in him. I I don't know what it was. Maybe a wound himself. Maybe a virus that had been passed down to him. See, in truth, wounded people wound other people. Hurt people 
hurt people. And so without understanding that and without being able to fix it, I moved on from that meeting saying to myself, man, listen, I've got to experience something different in my life. It's important for us to know that we all have tendencies toward these viruses. If we let them loose, if we let them go to their extremes, we can in fact harm other people the way that we have been harmed. And so it is contingent upon us and important for us to be able to break the cycle of sin that maybe have been passed down to us and to provide for our family and our spouses and for the people that we work with a whole different kind of relationship. So the question does beg itself. Are we a carrier of a relational virus of some kind? If today you say you are, you need to do something about that. You need to allow the healing work of the Holy Spirit to speak deeply to you. You need to take responsibility for it. You need to see a counselor. You need to get some help. But today what we're talking about is more so when other people come our way to wound us, when they seek to attack us and to hurt us. And the scripture has such great insight into the responses of people around us. Their response toward us is anger or bitterness or rage or guilt or manipulation or rebellion. And maybe at times you've allowed them to hurt you and to wound you. And just like me in that meeting with my supervisor, you've walked away and said, I've got to figure something out here because this isn't safe and this hurts. What happens is that people tend to respond in two extremes, one extreme or the other. In one sense, they respond to being hurt like that by becoming emotionally closed. Here's what they do. They, they have that experience of that trauma, of that hurt, and they flip the emotional switch. And they say, never again will I be hurt. In essence, what they say is, never again will I trust. Never again will I love. Never again will I give my heart to someone only to see it trampled upon. They become emotionally shut off from the world and from relationships. Or the other extreme is this, they become emotionally exposed. In other words, they accept the moral judgment that people have given to them about themselves. They believe the lies that are cast their way. See, I could have walked away from that meeting having believed that I was a failure because I didn't make all those ministry contacts. When in my heart, I knew that I was driven by the right motives. And yet I was insecure to accept the guilt and the manipulation and to allow that individual to say things about me that I knew were not true. So in one sense, the emotionally closed person builds walls, big, impenetrable walls. And they isolate themselves and they insulate themselves, not only from the person who hurt them, but from all other people. And people who should be trusted and people who should be loved and people who should be let in are not because it's just too risky. On the other hand, those who are emotionally exposed become defenseless. See, they have no boundary of any kind. They become powerless and helpless, and they actually become victims of what people say to them and about them. On one hand, the emotionally closed person shuts down. But man, they're protected. And there's a false sense of safety behind that wall, right? They'll never be hurt but they'll never be loved. 
and they'll never love. But the emotionally exposed person, boy, they're open. But listen, they are vulnerable and they are susceptible. And they are exposed. And they are people who can be abused time and time and time again. Because they have no boundary. Now, that's the key word for us today is the word boundary. I want you to understand that concept. Because there is middle ground. There is a way, and the Bible teaches it, there is a way in which we can negotiate the people in our lives, people whom we should trust and love and who are trustworthy, people to whom we should give love. There's a way of loving them and showing compassion to them and having mercy toward them and giving our hearts to them and yet at the same time not making ourselves vulnerable to hurtful and harmful people who wound and maim and who have relational viruses. The Bible has a lot to say about the giving of love, but it is different than the world's definition and the world's standard. So let's read together in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. This is what the Apostle Paul says. Let love be genuine. Think about that for a moment. Think about the life that that is. Genuine love. Sincere love is what some translations say. Authentic love. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Paul is talking about a response to those who might curse or harm. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. The giving of sincere love to celebrate with others who are celebrating success in their life and to be happy for them but also to weep with those who are mourning. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And here's an important verse, verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Now, the Bible here is stating obvious commands on how to treat people. It's talking about things like loving and showing honor to respect other people, to meet their needs, to show hospitality, to live in harmony with them. And then again, that verse there at the end says, as much as it depends upon you, as much as it depends upon you, as much as it depends upon you, be at peace with all people recognizing and realizing that peace with all people is not totally dependent upon you folks. You understand that, right? There are some people who just won't have peace with you. They won't have it. Paul says you can't control them. But as much as it depends upon you, responsibility is what he's talking about. Responding to those... What is responsibility? It's the ability to respond. Responsibility. 
Now, here's what the Bible is teaching. This is so important. Behind these words, all throughout the Scripture, are some assumptions about how we show love and where it comes from. Here's what the Bible teaches. Three things. That our actions, and this is found in Romans 12, that our actions do not have to be dependent upon what others do or do not do. That our circumstances... That people in our lives, that the context of living does not necessarily have to dictate to you and me how we respond to them. The Bible time and time again says we do not have to be victims of even people who seek to harm us and hurt us. That instead, there's a more ontological approach. This approach that comes from within. That I don't love people only because they are worthy of love or because they are lovable. After all, there are a lot of people in life that are not lovable. But nonetheless, Paul says, we are to give love to them. Which means this. This is the second thing. That forgiveness, grace, and compassion are distinct. Please hear this. Those three things are different and distinct from emotional defenselessness. I can offer compassion to someone and yet at the same time guard my heart from being harmed by them. I can forgive an individual without making myself vulnerable to the hurt and shame that they might want to bring my way. The Bible would say that when reconciliation is possible, it should be made. We must try to make it. As far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all people. When possible, reconciliation should accompany forgiveness. But it doesn't always have to be that way. I can forgive someone who may not want to reconcile with me. And I can show them the grace and love of Christ by saying, I set you free. For my right and my need to get revenge for what you did to me. My right, my need to get even. And as authentically and sincerely as I can say it, I wish you well in your life. That is the love of God pouring through us. And it's not dependent upon the response of that person. It's freely given from our hearts based upon our character and our disposition. And here's the final thing that's true that the Bible teaches That believers can learn to love and yet also defend their hearts from wounds of hurtful others. Now, in the establishment of the New Testament church, all this stuff was being worked out because Jesus clearly taught to love. And yet we see in the example of the life of Jesus how he himself erected boundaries from hurtful and harmful others. And so the admonition from Jesus was, hey, you need to love one another. You need to even love your enemies. So here are some commands to love. In John 13, 34, New commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. 1 John 4, 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It doesn't get more clear than that. But our problem comes in understanding what love really means and what it's all about. Because on the other hand, 
the clear command to love. And yet we see in the establishment and the functioning of the New Testament church that Paul, Jesus, taught that there were boundaries that must take place from harmful people. That people who come into the body of the church who seek to maim and hurt and wound and disrupt and divide the body of Christ. Paul would say, you have to deal with those folks. Lines must be drawn. You must say no to some hurtful and harmful people in this world. Well, look at some scriptures here. Building boundaries. Romans 16, 7. What Paul says. By the way, it's the same church he just wrote about in Romans 12. Same exact church. He's saying this. Listen, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching that you've learned. Keep away from them. That's a boundary. In 1 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul was writing to this church and he was correcting this church. That's to put it mildly. He was rebuking this church. Because that church in Corinth had allowed a sexually perverted individual to exist within the body of Christ. And they were doing nothing about it. So what Paul says to them, he says, Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Let him go, cut him off from the body. Ultimately in hopes that that kind of discipline would result in, though his body may not be saved, maybe his spirit will be saved in the end. Ultimately, maybe God can bring some reconciliation and repentance and restoration into this man's heart. But you're not God. Let God do that if it's going to be done. And then, in Ephesus, with that young preacher, young pastor Timothy, Paul is urging Timothy to draw boundaries with respect to false teachers. In 1 Timothy 1.3, he says this, As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus, so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer. Clear boundary. People who seek to hurt must be dealt with ultimately. Now there's a process. Jesus outlines that clear process. He does it in Matthew chapter 18. If you look in Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17, you're going to see a clear outline process where we confront those who have offended, seeking to restore them, seeking to make the relationship right, seeking to reconcile with them. He says, listen, first of all, go to them privately. If that doesn't work, take somebody else with you, have a talk with them. If that doesn't church, if that doesn't work, bring it to the church. And now in verse 17, this is what he says. After the process of seeking to reconcile, he says, listen, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Cut them off. Because now repentance and restoration is in the Lord's hands. Only God can change them. You can't fix them. So here's what the Bible is saying. Ultimately, we must draw a line. Certainly the church must draw a line. We must draw a line that says no more. No more will I allow you to hurt me and abuse me. No more. Always reflecting the mirror back upon ourselves. What is our responsibility in the relationship? 
Have we seek to speak the truth and to speak the truth in love? Have we sought to redeem the relationship, own up to our own sin in the process? And yet the Bible is clear, at the end of that, we still might have someone who will not have peace be made with us. We must then say no. No more. In the life of Jesus, we see this. We must say no to bullies. We must say no to people who wound and maim. And in Jesus' life, we see boundaries, healthy boundaries, We see in Jesus this amazing ability for him to show love, to wash the feet of the disciples, to give compassion and mercy to individuals. At times, Jesus wept for people to show amazing love. And yet, other times when people came to attack him and wound him, he would erect this boundary and essentially would say, listen, you can throw a fit and you can throw guilt and you can try to manipulate all that you want on your side of the fence, but over here, I'm okay. Why? Because he knew who he was. He knew where he had come from. He knew who he was and he was firmly rooted in his identity with his heavenly father. So look at these examples I mean, here's Jesus protecting his heart without losing his soul, able to defend and guard himself without losing the ability to love. Look at these examples. He confronted and withstood harmful people. The scriptures are listed here on the screen. Yet he also loved, he served, he displayed mercy. On one hand, he would overturn the tables in the temple. One occasion, he would... Say to the scribes and the Pharisees, Woe to you, you hypocrites. Woe to you, you brood of vipers. Stand up to hurtful people. In a righteous way. He would say to the disciple Peter, Get behind me, Satan. (laughs) When Peter was trying to thwart the plan of Jesus' march to the cross, And yet at the same time, he would see a widow in Luke 7. He he would see a widow in a funeral procession who had already lost her husband, who was now burying her son, was attending his funeral. And the Bible says that his heart went out to her. How could Jesus have such violent attacks toward him emotionally and relationally? and yet not lose the ability to love. Here's how. Three things real quick as we finish today. First of all, we must, just as Jesus did, find complete security ultimately and only in our Father in heaven. In Matthew chapter 3, in the inauguration of Jesus' ministry, this very public moment when John the Baptist baptized Jesus in the Jordan River, a voice, a public voice, where all could hear came from heaven. It was the heavenly father. And that voice from heaven said this, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And every son needs to hear that from their father. You can imagine what that did for Jesus' security, knowing the full approval of his father. And folks, if 
We are in Christ and we are redeemed. We are forgiven and we are a child of God. And ultimately, only God's approval matters. So if you're hurt and wounded by people, you must reflect that back upon yourselves and say, whose approval do I really need in life after all? Whose approval do I really ultimately need? Ultimately and only God's. Sometimes the fact that we are hurt is really our responsibility, folks. Why? Because we've allowed someone to hurt us because we're insecure in our relationship to Christ. We've allowed ourselves to be placed in a position to be hurt. It's, it's our fault. And so you go from one relationship to the next, allowing yourself to get up close to wounded and hurtful people because of insecurity. And because of a need to be loved by someone in your world that could never, ever ultimately love you. Which leads to the second thing that's true. We must live as ones accountable only to God. Ultimately, we are accountable to our Father in heaven. John chapter 13, it says, Jesus knew that the Father had put things, all things under his power, that he had come from God, that he was returning to God. Jesus knew that. He was sure of it. He, he was sure of his identity. And he was ultimately sure that in his life he was living for an audience of one. That there would be relationships and exchanges and love that would be made. But ultimately at the end of the day, he was accountable to God and he, God was the audience. The Father in heaven was the audience to which he would ultimately be accountable and to which he would ultimately live. And other people's expectations of me or even better yet, maybe my expectations of other people are the things that actually undermine my own happiness. Expecting people to meet the deepest needs of my life that only God can meet. Folks, after all, whose fault is the disappointment when a person places expectations upon another individual to meet the deepest needs of their heart that that person, listen, will never, ever ever meet it's not in them to do so and yet you expect it and we set ourselves up for disappointment because we're trusting for someone to play a role in our lives that only God can play I can't change people I wish I could because <laughs> this world would be perfect <laughs> Man, I could be like the benevolent dictator. I'd be controlling everything, man, but I can't change people. I can't fix people. I can't control them. And I have to let go of those expectations. A few years ago, there was a guy in our church whose boss was asking him to lie and cheat on reports. He wanted to keep his job, but he didn't know what to do. Ultimately, he told his boss he couldn't do it. He got fired. He said, I didn't need that kind of job anyway. Ultimately, there's an audience of one. And here's the final thing. We must also walk securely in God's ever-constant presence. Jesus said in John 14, On that day you'll realize that I'm in the Father, you're in me, and I'm in you. In John 16, but a time is coming and has already come when you will be scattered. Now, he's giving them last instructions. These are hours before he's to be crucified. And he's trying to dictate to them what the future is going to look like. He says, listen, that time is coming and really has already come. When you'll be scattered, each to his own home, you will leave me all alone. But listen to Jesus' confidence. 
you will abandon me. You will reject me. Some of you will be standing at the foot of the cross watching me be executed and do nothing about it. You will leave me all alone. Yet I'm not alone. For my Father is with me. If you are in Christ on your worst day, on that day when that person that you trusted packs a bag and leaves the house, on that worst day of your life, you're not alone. There's comfort and peace and security for those who understand that ultimately and only God is the one to whom I'm responsible. God is the one to whom I'm accountable. God is the one who will never, ever, ever leave me. If we have that kind of security, then and only then we will be able to give our hearts to people and trust them. Ultimately and only giving our heart to the one who is ultimately trustworthy, that's God himself. But in this life, to be able to give a piece of ourselves, to, to, to know and be known, to love and be loved, and for that to be a fulfilling experience for us, even the ups and downs, and even the hurt and rejection that sometimes that takes. And yet also, when people seek to maim and attack, we can erect a wall, that boundary, that God allows us to have this inner strength that comes from within to say, hey, on this side, I'm okay. I know to whom I belong. A couple of years ago, I was driving toward the college where I work also, and I was driving a back road, and it was kind of a residential area, but it was a wide road, and there was set up a little barricade, and there was construction that was going on uh, around the barricade and then down the street a little bit, and there was an off-duty police officer who was there with his car, and he was kind of standing there talking on his phone, looking away. And this barricade was about halfway across the road. Really, it was only about a third of the way across the road. And I looked down the street, and I, I came over the stop sign. I looked down the street, and I could see that um, there was another car that was heading the same direction, so I assumed that that car had gone around the barricade. This was just a little detour, and then you can continue on. Well, I went around the detour, and the policeman shut his phone off and jumped up at, out in front of my car, angry. And I rolled down my winter, uh, window, and he absolutely uh, went off on me, cursing me out for going around a little barricade. Now, there was no construction crew. There was nothing dangerous going on. But he really unloaded on me. And I sat there and took it. I said, man, I'm sorry. I thought I could go around this. No, you didn't. Accusing me of actually trying to commit some kind of heinous crime, <laughs> right? <laughs> So he took my license and he went off to the car to check my license. And something clicked in me, and it's an experience that I rarely have. In fact, I wish I had more of these. I, was, I wish I was more godly because I've had other experiences that were not so pretty or so kind. I remember one lady on Luetta and, who rolled down the window, and I didn't say anything bad, I didn't curse, I didn't lose it, but I was concerned about having the Brook Church window decal on my... <laughs> I wanted to say, actually, I go to Champion Forest, you know. 
Yeah, I guess not. But this time, uh, this time, something clicked, and um, I felt this peace come over me. And I knew that what he was saying was not valid. You know, that's part of the key, right? And I began to see this situation through a lens that's much different than normally what I see it. And I began to pray for that police officer. And I began to think about maybe he's had a bad day or a bad life. (laughs) Maybe he's wounded. I don't know. But here is a person for whom Christ died and prayed. He came back, reamed me out some more, told me he was going to mail me a ticket and sent me on my way. I never got that ticket. I said, thank you, sir. Have a good day. That's all I said. And um, went on my way. But I thought to myself, I wish I could respond like that more in my life because of every day and maybe weekly kinds of challenges with people that I face who may seek to harm, to erect this healthy boundary and say, listen, you can, you can vent on your side. It's okay. But you're not getting through in here because in here is something different. In here is the peace of Christ. In here I'm a child of God. In here, yeah, I made a, made a mistake, but mistakes happen. In here is grace and mercy and forgiveness. And to seek to show that to more people in return. You see, the truth is this, folks, and this is what Paul is teaching really in Romans chapter 12. Ultimately, please hear this. Ultimately, no one can hurt you unless you give them permission to. The old saying is, nobody can drive you crazy unless you give them the keys to the car. Nobody can pressure you. Nobody can make you angry without you giving them permission. So Paul says, here's the question for us today. What's in here? Regardless of what's out here, what's in here? In Christ, there is the potential even with harmful and hurtful people. Some of you, the hurt is so raw for you this morning. You're hurting. And uh, people have hurt you. And you're, you're feeling it today. And yet I'm here to say to you that past that hurt, there's something deeper that can reside. There is a peace unlike any other. It is a gift from the Holy Spirit of God that can give you some perspective and some hope this morning and will teach you not to flip the emotional switch off. Not to respond by saying, I'll never love again. But instead, I'm going to move forward and I'm going to learn what love is and I'm going to be willing to give it and I'm also going to learn how to defend and protect and guard my heart. As the Proverbs would say, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. That's what we need to do. May God give us the ability to do it. Let's stand for closing prayer. And by the way, I apologize for going a little long today. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this wonderful day. Thank you for the depth and the insight of your word. Thank you that in Christ there is a security, a peace, even in the midst of storms that rage, of hurt. Thank you that we always have a place to go to with our hurt. Thank you that ultimately 
we're accountable to you. Ultimately, we belong to you. And ultimately, Father, we are never, even when abandoned, are never, ever alone. We thank you for these amazing promises and these amazing gifts. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.